Entertain yourself, educate yourself, and empower yourself. The Next Report, Phoenix and Overlook Pop Culture, with host Thomas Holdbrook II, Stephen Tompkins, and Stephen Kelly. And welcome to a milestone episode edition of the Next Report podcast, covering Unix and Overlook Pop Culture. I'm Thomas. I'm Stephen Kelly. And I'm Stephen Tompkins. And the good news is, we have all three co-hosts here today. Yay! Yay! Woo! Um, and I kept asking myself, what the heck are we going to talk about for number 30? It, 30 episodes, that's uh, quite a feat in and of itself. But um, and I, I think for some reason, you know, just certain uh, software issues kept popping up with some stuff I was testing and... And uh, Stephen Tompkins, uh, you know, kind of, I think, suggested something about talking about, you know, software glitches. I'm like, wait, we can talk about glitches, bugs, oh my, (laughs) and and all. And those are things that just permeates throughout all our lives, whether it's entertainment or uh, very important, really, really important aspects of our lives, like healthcare and things like that. Um. And I figured start off with with something simple, like Easter eggs in software, for example. Those are things that are intentionally left in there by programmers, just as a nice surprise, like that little 3D game in Microsoft Excel. Um, I think either Office 97, yeah, Office 97. There's some little 3D little game that you can access through. Microsoft Excel. That that would be an example of one. Um, how many of you remember Super Mario Brothers in the Minus World? Well, I've definitely seen uh, <clears throat> seen stuff about that. I never actually took the time to try to access the Minus World, but I have. I know it's one of the more infamous uh, Easter egg slash glitches that definitely was out there. Um, other Steven. Um, I don't I don't I don't think I've actually experienced that one either Um, the only trick that I can remember from the original Super Mario Brothers was in like the uh, uh, first or second level you like you can jump up to the very top and run all the way over and go to these warp holes Mm -hmm. to jump to the next world but other than that I don't think I ever remember trying to do anything else in any of the other levels yeah, there was also the little one-up trick, and one of the levels where, where you stomp on a Koopa, and you're constantly stomping on it, kicking it, stomping on it. And once you accumulate enough points, you get one-ups. And from what I understand, if you get too many one-ups, it's actually game over. Oh, really? <laughs> from according to like one of the mega strategy guides that came from from Nintendo that covered like one through three. So, um, so, yeah, I just, just, oh, just certain things that you never realized existed. But, th- but by and large, these things were pretty, pretty well contained, pretty well, you know, hidden. Um, until you go to the, uh, Game Boy era, um, what what are some of the like Easter eggs glitches you remember when you like had 
things like the Game Boy and older systems. Well, with uh, I know the big one that uh, a lot of people always constantly bring up are the Pokemon games. I know there's uh, <clears throat> you're probably more well versed in these than I am, but I do know that uh, they had a lot of stuff like in one of the Pokemon games. I can't remember if you used a Game Shark or some similar device, but there was a way to access a. Uh, um, they had, I think that it's actually called Marin or something, but a little blue mouse-looking creature. It was actually in, like, the original few Pokemon games, but they took it out via coding. People were able to get on there and actually unlock it using a cheating device, and then they were calling it, I think, Peek-a-Blue or something. Like, so they kind of basically made this, this, like, abandoned creature, and eventually they put it in the later games. I think the second gen stuff, they started adding them in there. I think the Pokemon you're talking about is Meryl. It's Meryl, yeah. It's a little blue, like, mouse Pokemon. Uh-huh. Um, and and what one of the things about that though is that a lot of rumors popped out about you know hidden Pokemon and everything else and and what wound up happening was for all 150 well 151 if you're counting Mew in the whole equation you know there's so many spaces and memory and such that they had to create and they, they had to go all the way up to around 250 some odd spaces be, in order to hold all of the Pokemon the rest were just empty spots filled with random data um, and people thought oh a new Pokemon when they encountered th- this this uh, let's just say creature called Missing Note which is short for Missing Number uh, what what had happened was people discovered a nice little cheat. And this part was sanctioned by Nintendo because th- they actually put it in an issue of Nintendo Power magazine. They were talking about the Safari Zone where you can go catch certain Pokemon in a certain area. Well, if you if you do that for a while and then you know time to leave and you fly to Cinnabar Island, and you surf on the east coast, Between you're on the tiles between the water and the coast, you're right on the coast, and you're surfing up and down, north and south, north and south, you'll encounter Pokemon from your last, from the last area you were in. So if you were, if you were in like the, you know, Ghost Tower, for example, you'd encounter Pokemon from that area. If you were in the Safari Zone, you'd encounter Pokemon from that area. But there were some instances where uh, the coding, the glitches, bugs were not so well hidden. Um, one of the ways to trigger the missing number, and this is this is the way I did it. Uh, some people would talk to the old man who would teach you how to catch Pokemon in Viridian City. Yeah, it's Viridian City. Um, the other way is to do an in-game trade with another uh, NPC, non-playable character. And basically it's, oh crap, uh, uh, what, what's going on? The programming freaks out and then bam, <laughs> this jumbled mess of pixels appears. If you catch it, it'll 
cause some quirky issues with your game. Some people, a lot of people say, oh, it, your game save file is completely safe with this. It's just cosmetic. Um, eh, not necessarily so. Um, re- releasing, releasing the thing back into the wild and then doing something else can fix the graphics, but, um, they did a lot better job of hiding it in the yellow version with Pikachu in it. Though, there there is a convoluted way of encountering it, except in many cases, those cases will potentially crash your game. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's more unstable, which they had to hide it a lot better. Um, another, another nice little tidbit is it is possible to even catch Mew because of some of these glitches without a game shark. <laughs> so it's just like, wow. It's, it's funny you say that. Um, one of my coworkers, whose name happens to be Stephen as well, uh, <laughs> watched a video online. It was making fun of uh, other various games and stuff altogether, kind of like the Smosh videos, if you're into that. Um, but at Closer to the end of it, it shows this trainer, like stomping up and up and down on his Pokedex, because his uh, Machoke or Machamp, I can't remember which, is trying to move this truck. And there was a, a rumor around that if you go to um, uh, Vermilion City, and there's a truck, like once you get surf, there's a truck off and down the island somewhere that. Supposedly, if you used strength on it and moved it, um, you would show up. And I remember trying that over and over and over and over and over. It never happened. But By the way, um, I may have actually been the reason why uh, that appeared on the FAQ on the Pokemon website. Because I discovered there was no way to get to that truck. That truck does exist. Um, there is no way to get to it because except if you beat the appropriate gem leader, and then after that, because you can't move from the area unless one of your Pokemon knows cut, but if you trade with somebody that, with a a Pokemon that already knows cut, you don't have to get the hidden machine from the sick captain, so the ship remains in port. Um, I discovered that by doing that, oh, I, I can surf. Lo and behold, there's a truck. I use strength. The damn thing doesn't move. <laughs> nothing. Nothing happened. <laughs> like, what in the world? And I'm like, why in the heck is this there? So I write to I write to Nintendo about it, and they're like, sure enough. <laughs> sure enough. And they're like, yeah, we couldn't get it to do anything. <laughs> so I'm like, holy Wow. <laughs> Um, so I don't know if that's a holdover from a uh, from an original Japanese edition that they just didn't take out or what. Was Might have been something they were going to do and then they, they took out. There's a lot of games like that where they'll be planning something and then all of a sudden they will decide, you know, we, no, we can't do that. And they'll leave the skeleton of what it was behind and you can actually go. I remember uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I used to have a, a game shark on the original uh, PlayStation, and there was a if you enabled uh, wall walking, basically like phasing through walls like you're not supposed to do. There was actually a whole other section of the castle that was not finished, so you could go in there, 
turn that off, walk around, and it enabled you to get a higher percentage than what you were supposed to get in the completion thing, which was super nerdy for no reason, but it was kind of cool to be like, yep, walking around this part of the castle. Sort of like how the um, debug room for Final Fantasy VII had to be enabled with a game shark. Oh, yeah. Because, like, the, the, the thing about missing number is it would duplicate the, you know, it would have to be an item that you could carry multiples of. So it would it would duplicate the item occupying your sixth inventory slot. And I'm, like, thinking to myself, okay, this had to have been part of a debugging um, feature that they forgot to take out. Yeah. Probably using that to test the balance of the game, make sure things don't get too um, easy or too difficult, just keeping it even um, and everything else. But yeah, just... yeah, there were, And the funny part is, um, in Gold and Silver, they, they obviously put in some error handlers to prevent missing number from being traded to those, though people have reported finding ways around it, <laughs> and not, nothing bad happening because of it. The funny part is you, you tra- like you trade one, one will be ident- identified as a Remoraid, another a Tyrogue. Um, if you find a way to trade certain gold silver editions, two red and blue, it just becomes another version of missing number. So <laughs> There were basically several unoccupied slots, and it's just kind of, kind of fun and cool to think about what could have been. One that's coming to mind too is uh, you guys play Mortal Kombat at all? Oh, I used to be into that game. Uh, you remember uh, the character? He showed up much later on, Ermac. Yes, he's like the Red Ninja. Ermac actually uh, was created because in the original Mortal Kombat game. In one of the menus, there was a uh, his uh, reptile, the green ninja, was a uh, like a hidden character. You had to do some stuff to, to be able to fight him. You couldn't use him, but you could fight in an extra battle. On one of the menus, there was a section that said Ermac, which literally just stands for Error Macro. And I don't think it was actually <laughs> supposed to be in there. It was uh, something that they left over from when they were testing it, most likely, like you're saying. And it would keep track of something. So people were like, oh my god, there's another character. And all these rumors and all this junk about this character that did, literally did not exist. Like, there was <laughs> false claims of if you do all this stuff, he'll, he'll come out. Well, it got to the point where finally in, what, like, I think it was uh, one of the, um, like, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 games. They went ahead and made a character named Ermac just to get people to shut up about it. <laughs> because it was so much of a prevalent rumor that they were probably getting badgered about it continuously. And they're finally like, here, here's Ermac. And they just had to make up a character at that point. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of another game. Um, did you guys ever play uh, any racing games on the original PlayStation or before that? Like Grand Turismo? Oh, yeah. Uh, in Gran Turismo 2, uh, when I was really bored, I played that game for hours and hours on end. Uh, I would get cheats on mine to um, how to unlock what car or what racetrack, and then there was uh, a brief thing that I saw and I read it, and it's basically uh, 
a famous racetrack, the Mazda uh, Laguna Seca Raceway. Uh huh. If if you get right to where the um, start and finish line is, and you basically ram your car into the wall, <laughs> and you had to have a car that was really fast, and I only could do it with one car. It was a Suzuki four-wheel drive uh, Pike Speed hill climb car. Uh, you basically ram your car into the corner and just sit there, and you have to angle it just right. And if you do it, you actually break through the wall. Like nothing happens to the wall, but you glitch to the other side, and then you're driving on the outside of the racetrack. <laughs> and then if you go far enough, go far enough deep past, I can't remember which direction. It was like uh, somewhere in the north, and you just keep going and keep going. You eventually find a drag strip. Oh, that they it's took just out of the a game. flat drag strip, yes. Yeah, because that, that, that game was supposed to have, like, drag racing in it, and they eventually, like, took that out completely. Well, I think they had, like, there was no, they had dragsters in there, but they're pretty much worthless, because any curvy road, you couldn't use it. <laughs> you had to use them on the big uh, test track. Uh-huh. But, yeah, it was out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and there was no, like, actual 3D buildings, it was a 2D plane. And as you're driving out there, you see nothing below you, uh, just the blue sky around you and the trees everywhere. It was like a three, like if you took a 3D panorama image of one 2D image and just separated it out everywhere. It was pretty bad. Weird. <laughs> now, a lot, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these bugs and glitches are kind of like fun to look at and everything else. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, these things, you know, tend to make their way into computer software as well. Windows, we you know, constant, constantly walk by certain machines that you're not supposed to see, and you see blue screens of death, and like, <laughs> oh. Um, I, I, I work in retail, and Tompkins does too, and the unfortunate reality is um, at one of these places, there's these, you know, you know the self-service type of stuff that happens to run outdated Microsoft software. <laughs> I believe I know the one you're talking about. <laughs> uh, uh, Windows XP Professional. But, oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just waiting to see what will happen in uh, 2014 when Microsoft officially stops sending security updates, but <laughs> that, 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 that's going to get interesting. But Unfortunately, as of late, and this is why uh, Linus Torvalds has actually been seriously considering the whole idea of 4.0 Linux kernel being nothing but stability and bug fixes and everything else, saying, you know, I think this could be pulled off if given enough time and enough notice that we're going to work on fixing this stuff, which quite frankly, needs to be done, because as of late, there have been some problems. Now, Ubuntu 13.10, um, not having a two, two-dimensional two option for their interface to me is a big mistake, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, I have a Toshiba Tekra M9 notebook. I acquired it off of eBay. Um, they're... I don't know if it's a hardware issue yet or not, or if it's just latest software drivers and such are problematic. Although, to be fair, I tried a, 
I tried a uh, an evaluation copy of Windows 8.1 Enterprise Edition, and one of the NVIDIA drivers were installed. It kept crashing and rebooting, <laughs> so it could that could be a driver issue too, more than hardware. But when I tried to run 13.10 on there, the NoFile driver kind of sort of worked. Uh, certain letters were blurry and missing after installing, which is weird. Extra letters, you don't need those. It's just, just <laughs> certain letters that just were not rendering properly in dialog <laughs> boxes. And then I tried to install the official NVIDIA driver, and lo and behold, um, graphical interface refuses to start. <laughs> and everything else, and I'm just banging my head against the wall. Well... Lately, apparently, NVIDIA's drivers have not been up to snuff. Um, <laughs> apparently. I had, I, the only way I was able to get the machine fully working was using a version of Linux Mint, disabling ACPI and APIC, which means no hibernate, no suspend, which, personally, I don't care about those issues, but that's an APIC being a certain form of timing related to hardware and things like that and sharing of resources but that's and using an older ver- version of the Nvidia driver which told me that it's a driver issue um, Tompkins you ran into problems in 13.10 as well uh, black screen on boot kernel issues and things like that um what do you know about this? Well, um, I spent probably, I don't know, three or four hours one night because on the uh, laptop I'm currently carrying with me to class and so forth, I decided to put 13.10 on it because I wanted to try it out. It was the newest software out, and I'm a fan of Ubuntu. And when I did, I completely wiped the PC and installed it, and then on the first reboot, I had no problem. I was testing out the software. It was doing great. Canonical had put in a couple more uh, new features to change the language just from your taskbar instead of having to go into your settings and everything, which I think was a, a wonderful feature. But at, after I rebooted and went back in, I couldn't even get to a login prompt. It would just boot from my BIOS straight to a black screen and then Nothing happened. <laughs> so I did some forum digging and eventually found a forum on uh, Arch Linux forums of all related to Ubuntu, which basically said that there was a kernel bug in the 3.11 kernel, which is used in Ubuntu, the newest 13.10 edition. Oh! <laughs> and really funny about that is it's filed under a medium importance. Not a high importance. <laughs> it's just a medium importance. Like, like this, this one's showing up on, on Launchpad as well. So, so and you, you noted that you, you discovered this in the Arch Linux forms, which is a totally different distribution, <laughs> showing Completely that it's a, it, cur, it's a kernel issue. So, so basically, there, there's some stability problems there. 
I don't funny that they're not taking care of their, uh, like, fessing up to it right now at this point, almost. It's like, they're like, oh, no, that's cool. That That's another thing that I found funny was that not only is it not filed as a high priority, which I think, if it's a kernel bug, <laughs> it needs to be taken care of. Because that is your core of your operating system for Linux, or well, any operating system. Because uh, the kernel is just different depending on which operating system you're using. But without that functioning, nothing else is going to function on top of that. And it's it's not a kernel bug that's just specific to Ubuntu. It's just where I had the problem, where most people have had the problem, because it's a popular operating system. But it it's happened on the 310 kernel, uh, which is on the same forum that I found uh, this specific bug on Arch Linux, and it's happened on uh, a couple other operating systems as well. And to be clear, that this particular bug, no video output at all when booting through Team 10 on, well, this in this case, Asus ZenBook UX31A. Um, it does say this bug report is on, on Ubuntu's launchpad. Um, is a duplicate of a, another particular bug, and the and these the the duplicates or the origin point of origin does state that this is a um, high priority. Then again, uh, canonical release cycle is a new version every six months. Every so often, you get what's called a long term support edition, which lasts you a few years. In between that, they're not known for, you know, fixing a whole lot of bugs in between. It's put a usable release out every six months, which for some people is great, others not so much. So, um, this is probably one of the reasons why Torvalds had had a change of part when somebody suggested it to him and he kind of poo-pooed it, saying, well, what about people... People don't have the attention span for this, and then well, he probably took another look at it and realized, well, this probably needs to be done at this point. Just adding more stability to things like that. So, so 4.0 is going to be probably, hopefully, a lot better than any kernel release, because there comes a point where instead of trying to add new bells and whistles and I'm looking at you Microsoft <laughs> just to add more stability to what you already have um, even at, I think even Adobe kind of sort of has been going that direction with their suite of applications just maybe add on here and there but increase the stability of the products and reliability which you know, that, and this is at least the private sector of sorts, albeit free and open source software. But um, one of the things that's been, you know, you would think that in terms of that, when it comes to a higher level of importance, um, like government functions and things like that, that make sure that stuff works properly because that can affect a lot of people. Well, as my mom used to say, when it comes to the federal government, if you assume <laughs> you make an ass of you me, um, the Affordable Care Act 
controversial legislation. Some people like it, others don't. Others are still up in the air about it. But one thing that cannot be disputed is the failure of the website. And people across the political spectrum are collectively face-palming themselves over and over again. <laughs> um, uh, Stephen Kelly was was the individual that said, hey, we should talk, definitely talk about this one, because the, 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 you know, first there was the whole stunt with Ted Cruz, and then all of a sudden this comes out. Well, yeah, because I mean, like, the thing I was saying uh, in our, you know, we were kind of discussing this beforehand was that, you know, the, the GOP really didn't need to, you know, force a shutdown of the government in order to uh, get people to kind of look at this and question it because it's done a pretty good job itself of doing that just by existing. I found an article uh, from Ars Technica that said um, 47 million people had attempted to log in the first day, you know, October 1st when it launched, or excuse me, 4.7 million people, and come to find out there was a grand total of six people that were able to make it through the entire process. And we went through and were able to calculate, you know, the exact percentage of that. And uh, what was that number? Uh, that was, uh, let me see here. I believe that was almost one one thousandth. Yeah. Point zero 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 one three percent It's a pretty awesome track record. Um, they should be pretty proud of that. <laughs> and the only reason people were able to, to get through it is because of their unique... Um, situation that they had, because if you had anything where they needed to do a credit check, if you had anything where they needed to, you know, try to pick up uh, like so your social security information or anything to that regard, the system itself was not connected correctly to any third-party databases and would just pretty much hang up and crash. Oh. And you get 4.7 million people doing that, and it just, you know, took the system to its knees, basically. And I, I encountered a link through a Facebook friend talking about certain uh, hacktivist tools that was created to quote-unquote take down the site, though the, though the article in question on Ars Technica that somebody noted that there was no evidence that it was used at all, probably because even if it had existed for quite some time, the people who made it probably realized they're not going to need to be using it because the site's going to fail all on its own. <laughs> and it did. Um, uh, when people like John McAfee, who I personally would not touch with a 10-foot pole, or because <laughs> he's been known to screw with journalists. Um, so, one way or another, like once a journalist no longer goes with goes along for the ride, he kind of ditches him, which is why I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. But when they asked him his opinion on the healthcare.gov website, his response was, scrap the whole thing and start over. Which, okay, that, that advice probably is good advice at this point. And here's why. Uh, one, this is, this is from where I have too many tabs open. This is <laughs> oh, dang it! This is from Tech Dirt, and 
apparently that the the if you look at the source code, it they discover people discovered that there are some that argue blatant software piracy, which that's not entirely correct. Uh, but it was a the the way that they used the code from a uh, project called Data Tables. Um, the people who put the site together violated the GNU General Public License and BSD licenses. Basically, they removed certain copyright notices, which is a no-no. <laughs> There's, they allow you to reuse it however you want, but you've got to leave the copyright notice in the software itself, in the coding itself. Um, and the Spry Media was the company behind the tables basically said that they are extremely disappointed uh, and you know rumors from Russia today RT claiming that Spry Media plans to sue quote unquote um, and all that so it's just just basically lazy copy and paste apparently, along with some other stuff, and, and, um, wow. Well, I don't know if either of you have tried to actually go on there and use the, the program at all, and it actually runs more stably now, like, uh, ever since they, they took the, they changed it around, like, in, you know, the front screen's different and everything, you can actually get through it, but when it first launched, uh, my, I'm in, currently in a, uh, a period where, I need to figure out if I'm going to take my, my works insurance or not. So I went ahead and decided on, on like, October 1st, oh, I'll check this out and see what it looks like. Well, that didn't happen. I wasn't actually able to even get on it for about a week or so. I'd go on there, like, at 3 a.m., you know, the perfect time when you would think, oh, no one's going to be, everybody's <laughs> asleep. I'd get on there, and I uh, sometimes I could get past the login screen, sometimes I couldn't, and eventually I was able to get on. I made my way through, and as it stands, I have been waiting about a month now for uh, identity verification. And I'm like, most likely not even going to use the insurance on there. I just kind of want to, you know, price check on it and make sure what I can right. do. But it's like, and I'm, I'm fairly tech savvy. I can't imagine if someone was like an elderly person or someone that doesn't know much about computers, they wouldn't know what was going on at this point. And. The company behind the CGI Federal, they've got experience, uh, just not good experience. <laughs> uh, they've also failed up in Canada. So, and, oh, it's just like, what were they thinking? Um, there are now sites out there that exist that basically will navigate you through to a point and then. You're from Missouri, right? Okay. And then it just gives you instructions after that. Okay, here's what you need to do. Because of their APIs and everything else. Somebody from the private sector was able to create a better website, basically, <laughs> out of nothing. So, um, pretty much. Uh, the, the whole thing's a mess. Uh, do you think they're going to make some concessions at this point? because of all these technical glitches, 
such as possibly delaying the individual mandate or say, you know, maybe we need to give this more time at this point because of this. I think they would almost have to at this point because unless something drastically changed, they have been saying that it's supposed to be relaunched. Even though it's it's up now, they've said that it's basically going to be like, you know, 100% usable at the end of this month. But for a lot of people, like for me, I'm going to have to, like, there's people that have their insurance through their work that if they sign up for it, it's really hard to get out of that insurance. And luckily, my job, it's, you know, I can claim that as one of those uh, instances where you can jump your insurance if you want to. But a lot of people aren't going to have that situation. So I honestly think they're going to have a lot of angry people here before too long if they wait. And you're starting to see people from every political party uh, putting down... Their, uh, I, I don't know... Uh, Congresswoman's name, but there's a there's a some Congress uh, people in Congress and the Senate that are trying to pass bipartisan legislature to extend it now. So I honestly think that if it keeps up and you you, you start like the guy, I believe it was today the the gentleman that was in charge of the web uh, creating the website project, he resigned completely from his job. Um, you're starting to see like uh, Sibelius. Um, She, uh, Kathleen Sebelius, basically has taken the blame for it. So it's not, you're starting to see people finally coming out and saying, you know, yes, we messed up. Because from what I understand, words going around that they knew that this wouldn't work. And the IT people involved straight up said, this is not ready to be launched. You can't do this. But the administration was so eager to get it up and meet that deadline that they put it up anyway. And look what mess we're in now. And and that's and that's the unfortunate reality of information technology. Um, and hopefully they won't go with CGI ever again. They've called in uh, companies that are well versed in technology, Google, Verizon, etc., to try to fix the site. And the bad part is they've had three three years. To put this thing together, and three years, bam, train wreck. Yeah. Um, Stephen Tompkins has a background in programming. Um, you were talking about somebody who had gone through the whole website, looked at the coding and everything, and noticed certain problems with it. Um, what did they say? What's your thoughts on it? Well, um, in my class that it was actually mentioned in, it's my data structures class, and focuses on Java. And my teacher, I guess, was reading the news the day the day of or the day before, and he read an article after after mentioning that um, various companies have tried to pick this project up and uh, just drive it forward, and so far nobody's been able to get anywhere with it um this lady I, I do not remember her name and i couldn't find the source for the life of me and have to actually ask my teacher to send a link or something uh to me this lady who has a degree in computer programming went through the site and after hours and uh, a few days of just persistence and trying to work through the site, looking through the code and 
various other things, managed to land on a page where she was able to get offered some sort of health care coverage. And to me, if someone that has actually a knowledge of programming and has a background in that has problems going through that and trying to find a way to get to where the destination is, it shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't take that long. So, to me, that, like you were saying earlier, Stephen, is um, the software wasn't ready. Yeah. It wasn't ready, but the administration wanted to push it out, and that's the biggest problem right here. Most definitely. That's what it definitely seems like. Um, and it's one of those instances where you're like, I want to, I want to fulfill a campaign promise, and one instance where trying to fulfill it turned out to be a bad idea which is unfortunate in some circumstances but um, and, and that's and various people pick, tried to pick it up, tried to keep it going and couldn't and now that you, you mentioned you know, merging only way to really probably get this working is to merge certain things together because a lot of these agencies use different systems to store information. Um, you mentioned you mentioned the UK. Uh, uh, well, yeah, there, there's going to be a similar problem most likely in the UK here soon. Um, I listen to a lot of, as you guys know, listening to this, I listen to a lot of BBC News at work on my iPod while I'm uh, doing stuff, and they have an issue right now where they have a, over there, they have a, a lot of, uh, England has, a, you know, what, what would they call a welfare state, you know, since World War II, they have a lot of benefits and stuff. That, right. You know, they're, they're essentially a socialist country without, you know, the bad connotation of that. That's how they work, how their government works. Well, it's, there's, they have tons of these programs that people can take advantage of, like heating credit for older people and job uh, they call it job seekers allowance, you know, like unemployment here. Right. But you have to register through multiple different agencies to get this, and it's incredibly terrible. But they're trying to do this thing called universal credit over there where they're going to merge them all together into one program where you can just go in and, and here's what I need, okay, here's your universal credit. Problem is, is they have done exactly what we did, and they have this lofty computer system that they're trying to implement by 2017 and everyone is looking at it and saying it's impossible to get this up and running by that time. They've done some pilot programs in various places and uh, nothing but problems because if you show up to one of these buildings where they're setting this up and you don't have like a, the correct paperwork and they get into it for 30 minutes filling this thing out and then you have to leave it's Reset you. The next time you come back, you have to re go through and do it all over again and stuff like that. And it just shows that a lot of these, and they're in a kind of a similar situation where their government is trying to force a campaign promise through, essentially, and they are going to get caught with their pants down here before too long. Um, and, and it's an unfortunate reality because you have different agencies that they don't have a universal platform, they're not using the same thing, therefore you're going to run into these type of uh, problems. 
And so, um, one thing that can be said is it will never be boring because <laughs> of all these um, glitches, Easter eggs. Oh my goodness. I mean, wow. But um, that wraps up episode number 30. Uh, we we are, um, are hopefully going to be approaching 500 likes before too long. We're, we're on the road to that on Facebook. Uh, check us out at thenextreport.com where all our social networking links are in the left-hand column. Finally managed to get Google Ads working on the site. <laughs> um, hint to self, turn off your browser's ad-blocking extension. That was the whole problem the whole time. Was it really? Yes. It's crazy. Like, uh, I, I'm like, why isn't this showing up? And it's like, wait a minute. Turn off ad block for this site. Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> One thing that the new feed allows, too, is we actually got the, uh, the podcast up in a workable state on iTunes. And if you really want to help us out on there, um, go on and write a review, subscribe, uh, give us some stars. You know, you don't if you can you don't have to do five stars, but it would be appreciated because there's an algorithm there, and it could help us get more listeners. Yeah, just uh, subscribe, rate, comment, review, and and share with as many people as possible. And we are getting more um, love on Google Plus as well. We're up to about twenty right now. Very nice, That's good. Plus twenty, yes. So. Um, entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. I'm Thomas. I'm Stephen. And I'm Stephen. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Next Report, covering Unix and Overlook Pop Culture. The intro theme comes courtesy independent band, The Introvert. Feel free to check them out via Facebook, linked in the show notes.